Good morning, good morning. We are back home at home and I hope you are already engaging in fellowship and enjoying the intimacy of our community as we share together uh, around the word and the fellowship of God. I don't know about you, but last Sunday was just an amazing experience and we were blessed uh, incredibly by Karen Allen, who concluded the Exhale Weekend, the ladies event. And um, she shared so powerfully on uh, the experience of a woman called Abigail and her husband, um, who was, in her own words, a brutish man, but she was able to demonstrate the powerful love that we are discussing in our current theme. And we're going to be continuing in that. We've been discussing how in John 15, uh, Jesus tells us that he's the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and that we are the branches. And we've gone through looking at uh, what our requirements are in order to maintain and receive from God. And we've been talking about the fruit um, of the Spirit. And we started off talking about love, and we're still there. And so when Karen talked about Abigail, uh, we see that this woman who was so genteel, who was so uh, filled with favor, was able to love a man that was just so uh, almost unlovable and watch what God was able to do through her. And so I want to really continue in this theme we've been discussing about God's love, God's amazing love, and what it really means. And uh, I'm so encouraged and inspired myself that actually I've got a long way to go to manifest that kind of love, this kind of love that we're talking about with God who is love and who, uh, as we expressed already, we touched on one of the aspects of that, uh, which is God is uh, patient. Love is patient. And in doing so, we realize that we need to go much deeper in receiving from God so that we can express that level of the aspect of love, that we will suffer long enough to see the person that we are connected to or uh, impacted by come good in, in relation to the context of the fellowship you have with them. And whether it's something that, you know, is, is bugging you or continually uh, getting uh, your, 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 your back up, you learn to say, God, I want to demonstrate your love and I, I want to have this aspect of patience. And so in continuation of that today, I want to really uh, just highlight the power of what this love is supposed to do. And before we unpack any of the other aspects of this love, I really want us to look at what it means to identify that God's love is perfect love. And you can say that to the person next to you, we're talking about perfect love here. There is, this is no ordinary love, it's perfect love. And the Bible tells us in John, First uh, John 4, verse 18 to 21, we're going to read that today. It says here, there is no fear in love, an amazing statement. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And again, we're going to unpack this in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Verse 20. Whoever claims to love God 
yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God also love their brother and sister. And so if you remember, we've already discussed uh, the commandment that God gives that summarizes the whole of the commandments. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he's talking about this perfect love. Look at what we're establishing here. He says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Isn't that amazing? Because what we don't realize is that every time you are impacted by fear, it is punishing to the body. That's why it's fearful. Anxiety, stress, often leading to depression, uh, terror. It is punishment. Nobody enjoys fear. We might laugh and scream on a fairground ride, but still the body is taken on this roller coaster and it's only because we know it's going to end and we can measure it and we know that somebody's not really trying to punish us that we enjoy the experience, but it's punishing on the body. And so God tells us that his perfect love drives out fear. And that when we embrace this perfect love, we are able to manifest and operate in his grace and in his love. But why is it punishment? Let's look at this. You see, because God lets us know that if it's punishment, it relates to what we call a law. And when Adam actually fell, committed the sin, we were thrown into what is, we now see as a law. It's a measurable quantity. And that's what the law is. It's a measure. A measure that says, this is the benchmark. If you go past that, you have broken a law. And therefore, straight away, it kicks into a punishment. So we might say to a child, if you do that again, you're going to get in trouble. Don't do that. This is the consequence. So ultimately, there is a level of uh, uh, fear that's added to the idea that I don't want to experience the punishment. Therefore, I'm going to try and avoid breaking this particular law. And so God understood that what happened when Adam fell, that everything became measurable. There was something now, there was a limit to everything. Because remember, they were operating on a spiritual level, a perfect level, and now they were operating on a, a level of measure. And we all know law, the law of gravity, what goes up comes down. Uh, you, you'll know that if you put your hand in the fire, you're going to get burnt. Uh, all kinds of laws and punishments kick in when you now go past the limit, the, the safety limit. 
If you drive over a speed limit, you incur a fine or a punishment. If you uh, abuse uh, another member of the public, if you stab or you kill somebody, there is a punishment, you know, and, and so on. And what happens is, is that we often now live our lives based on being contained by law after law after law. Don't do that. Treat me this way. You've got to do this. And, and so what happened was the children of Israel who were led by God under grace, because remember, our God is a God of grace and perfect love is reflected in the grace of God. But what happened was that when God was leading the children of Israel, he took them out of captivity, out of this horrible, punishing lifestyle, and was now leading them through the wilderness to the promised land where he had made provision for them that was so uh, uh, amazing that they were overwhelmed when they saw it. And God wanted to build this relationship with them as their father through his love. But when they were invited up the mountain, remember Moses would go up the mountain and communicate with God. And when you read Exodus and, and so on, you'll, you'll hear the stories where uh, Moses was so blessed to spend time communing with God. And God would share of himself with Moses to the point where Moses came down and was glowing like God. And God was trying to invite the people, say, come, come and listen. I want to talk with you. But when they heard the voice of God, it was this thunder, it was this roaring, it was this mountain of fire. They said, no, it's okay. We're happy to listen to Moses. Whatever you say to Moses for us to do, we will do. And the end result of that whole conversation was they were telling God that anything you ask us to do, we can handle it. And God says, okay. You've now put me in a position where I got to put laws in your half of this relationship. No longer are you able to flow in grace. You want this containment. You want these this instructions, this performance-related relationship, rather than the intimate one of grace. So, okay, he gives to Moses, okay, tell them this is how they've got to live then. And, and because they're not going to be hearing me communicate with them, I'm going to put all these requirements down. And he comes down the mountain with this tablet of Ten Commandments. You know, the, 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 you shall have no other God beside me. And, you know, if you go through all these commandments, you say you've got to, you know, not convict your neighbor's wife. And, you know, uh, all these kinds of uh, legal requirements that they would have to fulfill in order to maintain a relationship with God. And God used the law, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, so he would teach them that they were incapable of performance-related relationship. They could not meet the requirements because it required something greater than themselves to maintain this kind of standard. And so that's why every year they would offer a sacrifice with the high priest going in so that once again they would be reconciled to God and that they would actually be forgiven for that year. But this was no way for them to live. And it taught them that no matter how hard they tried, they would always fall short. You know what they did? 
They thought, well, if we've got to keep that commandment, the best way we can do it is to make other laws around this. So we'll have another uh, 50 laws around that number one, and we'll have another 50 because if we don't do that, it means we can keep this and so on. And they kept building and realizing that the more they tried, they had to put other measures in so they could try and keep these laws. And no matter what they did, it just put them in more bondage and more uh, uh, fear because I don't want to break this law. To the point where the Pharisees and Sadducees were so pedantic, were so particular that they had the people on, you know, uh, 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 bound in fear. I can't meet that requirement. You know, why are you doing this on this day? And, and, and their relationship with God was all about these laws and legal requirements. And God was saying, I don't want this relationship. This is what you guys proclaimed and demonstrated to me that, that we could do this. And God said, I want a relationship that expresses my perfect love. And so that's why John 3.16, and we established, is where God patient himself. He took on the idea of suffering for us so that we could come good. He gives his life. And he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He said he, he did not come to condemn the world. Because you see, whenever there is a law, there is always the expectation that you are going to experience condemnation. It's a punishment. A punishment that's attached to the breaking of that particular law. And you know how often we do that with each other? Oh, you know, we nitpick and say, well, you know, you haven't read your Bible today, or did you uh, love that person, or actually you've broken that law. And we hold each other to this, this standard. Oh, the, the way you talked to me, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to talk to somebody. That's not the expression of love. And there we go again, guilt, you failed. And so all the time we're in a situation where we're being accused of not being good enough and not being loving enough, of not meeting the standards. And we all have that what we put on each other. I never thought John was capable of doing something like that. And yet, when we list our own failings, we've also fallen short. And so we have this ongoing process where we are condemning each other because you failed to do this and you didn't do that. And so our relationships become all about you meeting a particular requirement. If you don't meet it, then you failed and we condemn you. And what the, the condemnation does, it is the power to imprison another. But when you imprison that person, you imprison yourself because you have to have a place where you hold that person up in your heart. And it costs you sometimes more than the person you are trying to imprison. The person you are trying to put guilt on. And so Jesus actually comes and tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we've got to remove the prison, remove the, the bar that is going to allow you to fail and then end up condemned. So what he does, Jesus, therefore, he says for, for us, he says, Jesus, for those who do not live, he's saying here, 
and operate or walk after the flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who do not live, operate, walk after the flesh or the law, because the flesh and the law are the same thing. You know, you feel guilty because I've done that thing again. I've, I've sinned or I've broken a law. And so the law and the flesh are always synonymous because it will always lead you into condemnation. But he says, for those who walk after the Spirit, there is grace, the giver, the applicator. He says, walk in the Spirit. You see, because God was trying to tell us that when we allow ourselves to try and live by laws, we are going to fail every time. Have you ever lied? Huh? Have you ever stolen that biscuit or that sweet? When mum says, don't touch the cake or don't go in the cupboard and grab that biscuit and you go in and you do it anyway and they ask, who did this? And you're thinking, it's not me. Straight away, we're failing. And we're in a situation where we will tell a lie to cover our failings. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he freed himself from being in a position of condemnation. He says, because you, you, you are forcing me to condemn you because you are failing with the commands. And therefore, what kicked in was always a punishment. And God said, enough. Because we forced him, as I said, to, to condemn him. He said, and God said, so God paid the highest price and chose to eradicate the restrictions of condemnation as it is incompatible with his nature because God is love. You see, they forced him to condemn them, so God paid the highest price, as I said, to, 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 to eradicate that. And you see, we see that when Adam sinned, everything became measurable, and he empowers the law, that the, the, the measure basically allowed us always to kick in. No matter what you do, something kicks in. You go over that speed limit, there's always a chance. Oh, careful. And you know what you're often doing? You see the police, you see the law, and you slow down. Because obviously, that the law has got to keep you in check. So God tells us here that in order for us to live free from condemnation, it required someone who could fully complete and actually fulfill all of the law. So God, as I said, patient himself, put himself on the cross, he says, and lived so that this is what Jesus did. He went on the cross and he fulfilled every single law. He did it before. He said, in me, all the law is fulfilled. There was no sin in him. He did everything that his father asked of him. He was the only person to ever fulfill all of the law. That's why there was no sin in him. He only did whatever he heard his father say and what he saw his father do. And so he went to the cross, died having taken in his body our failings, our sin, our guilt, rose again and then said, now I'm going to now get you to be buried with me to die to yourself. And it will no longer be you that lives, 
but me that lives in you. And so what Jesus did, he died and he took back all the power that had constrained us to live according to the flesh. Because you see, you know what your flesh does, which is what happened with Adam and Eve? It has a desire. And it's literally always going to want what it wants. And often you feel, oh, well, if you feel like it, then you do it. Or you think that thing comes up again and the body lusts or desires for it. So God actually said, hold on a minute. In order to, to remove the power of that, that imposition, the power of the, 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 the flesh that keeps putting you into the breaking of another law. I'm going to fulfill all the law and take in my body all of your failings and therefore I'm going to replace you so that it's no longer you that has to try and live this, but me. I'm going to live it for you. You're going to live your life through me. It's vicarious living. The life that now I live, I live it through the Son of God, the Bible says, who loves me and gave himself for me. Because as the John 15 tells us, the branch can do nothing of itself. You can't do this. Every time you try, there's always a potential that you're going to fail. But in Christ, it's been complete. It's already done. So it's the equivalent of somebody else doing your homework and getting all the answers right. And all you have to do is present the paper because somebody's already done it for you. So every time God sees you, he sees the perfect work because he looks to you to see the finished work. So that's why the love of God is always lived from the future to the present because it's perfected. So it's never from your present to a future. God sees you in perfect love every time he looks at you because he sees the work that is already completed. That's why the Bible says he knows the end from the beginning and God starts at the end and says, I am perfect love, I am love and this love I'm going to give to my people. Therefore, when I look at them through my son, Jesus Christ, I see the finished work. That's why God loves you with all his heart, with all, all everything he has because every time he sees you, he sees a perfect work. You now need to recognize that what God has placed in you, you have to work out and let it manifest out of you. Because in Christ, you are a new creation. You are perfected in love. This is why when we are talking about this level of love, you can do it through Christ. You have to rely on him every time you it's because we try to rely on ourselves. So this is what we have to do. Jesus redeemed the flesh so that we can be free from limitation. He, redeemed, he returned to his father and was with his glorified body. So here he has a glorified body, returns to the father, and this glorified body now empowers and makes alive the spirit again. Because in the spirit, there is no limitation. There is no restriction. That's why God is a spirit. 
And that's why he says he wishes those of us who worship him, we worship him in spirit because it's not subjected to the limitation of the flesh. So this is why the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is free from the limitations of this world. So when you are attached to the vine as a branch, it says all you have to do is receive because the vine is giving you the life that is required for you to live. You just have to channel that connection, channel that resource, channel that love. So the love we are talking about, you are capable of giving. Why? Because it's not your own strength. It is in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Look at what the Bible says here. It is the quality here of Jesus who is able to once again put on a new form to the body because of the work he did on the cross. He was glorified and removed the limitations so that now we can be free and we see Jesus now walks on water. He alters the body properties and comes to a war. John uh, 20, verse 19 and 20, Jesus appears to his disciples. He says here, on, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. He comes through a war. Because now he has been fully glorified and he has demonstrated to us what this new creation ultimately looks like. And he manifested the disciples. Because what he was telling you and me, that when we remain walking in the constraints of the flesh and the law of the flesh, of your mind and so on, we are bound the original declaration in Genesis was that we were to take dominion. Look at this. This dominion was declared, a declaration that you, me, man, can operate in all the dimensions. Look at this. There are fish that can only operate in the sea, birds that function within the air, plants in the soil. But you see, God has quickened us and given us a spirit a spirit that allows us to connect with him. Because you see, sin puts a limit on the most powerful and liberated dimension, the spirit. And so God made the spirit alive again. So now there is no limit to the power that God has placed in us so that you and I have been set free from the constraints of the law that the flesh imposed. That's why God can heal. That's why God can raise the dead. That's why our God is able to say all things are possible to those who believe. Why? Because he's saying we are no longer walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That through the work of Christ, our spirit has been made alive again unto God. So now the challenging things that we were constrained to do because of the law of the body and the law of the flesh, we are now set free as a new creation to flow in the spirit. And through the spirit of God, we are now not limited 
to do what the body says. You know when that person is getting on your last nerve and the body is saying, I'm so upset, I'm so angry, frustrated. The Spirit says, but yet I will trust in God and the God I know is a God of love who is patient. And so I then receive from the resource, the infusion through the Spirit of God that allows me to love the unlovable. That's the power of the work of Christ. So Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. In other words, you won't be subjected to the limitations of your flesh. You know that you walk past that beautiful woman, and the flesh is, oh, oh that's just, she's attractive. You get this lustful feeling. Or you smell the food, and you think, oh, you start to salivate. I'm hungry. I need to eat. So you're always being imposed on and the flesh just wants to desire, it just wants to go after things. And you know what the equivalent of that is? It is exactly what animals do. Have you ever noticed? A dog is always confused. He smells, oh, I smell, what do I, smell? I smell something I really like. And, 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 and you go after it. So what we do is we use the food and we can actually say to the dog, come. And the dog comes. Not always because it wants to come to you, but you've got some food in your hand. It's basically you're getting, it's the lust of the the appetite that's controlling that dog. And eventually it learns to, ah, listen to what you say because there's a reward. And this is how the body operates. It will always lead you into constraint because it has lust, desires that are counter the desire of the spirit. And God says you are set free through the work of Christ to walk in the authority of the Spirit of God. And so this is what I want to encourage us to do today. And it's going to sound really strange. For those of you who are dog lovers, do you take your dog for a walk every day? Huh? Some of you more than once. Three times. The dog needs to go for a walk. You see, the dog needs to experience freedom. The dog needs to to understand that it's not bound and it needs liberation. Do you know, that's what happens to us with the lust of the flesh. It binds you, it constrains you. You, you, It's plaguing you to the point where you can't get it out of your mind. Oh gosh, why am I thinking about that person? Why am I lusting after this? And you know, all day you're thinking, oh, I can't wait. Oh, I'm going to go and have a steak. Oh, I want a McDonald's. And then you eat the McDonald's and think, oh gosh, I've gone and broken my plan again. I was trying to, you know, stay healthy. Don't get me wrong, you know, it's it's met your, your requirements to eat something, but it's not your plan. And often we are just so driven by what we desire. Oh, I don't fancy getting out of bed today. I'm just going to go by how I feel. And we're driven by it. And what the, the body does, it will always have these thoughts. You have over 60,000 thoughts a day, always bombarding, coming at you. And the body's under pressure. And so every time you get a thought, this is what you have to do. You have to take yourself like that dog for a walk to the cross. And you have to take that thought and say, Lord, I've just had this lustful thought about Mary. And I know this is not what I'm supposed to do, God, but because I know that you died for us, I'm bringing this to you, and you take it to the cross. God, I was so upset with Philip today 
because he just got on my last nerve and I was rude and I was abusive and God, you know that I, 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 I don't want to be this person, but God, God, I know that you died for this. So God, I'm bringing this to you and you bring it to God and say, but Lord, I receive your work, Jesus. And then when you find actually that, that child is getting on your last nerve and God, I've been trying, I've done everything I can and they still won't listen. They get in trouble all the time. I don't know what to do, God. And it's really just destroying my peace. And you say, God, but you died for this. So Lord, I'm coming and I'm walking this to you. And every time you get that challenging thought, that challenging lustful desire, you know what you do? You take it to the cross. And this is going to be one of the most powerful and important things you will hear. It is not good enough to believe in Jesus. I'll repeat it again. It's not good enough just to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in the work he performed on the cross. Because there are many who believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the work he performed. Because you see, what allows Jesus to be the Christ was the work he performed on the cross. So that it's no longer I that lives, but him that lives in me. He performed an act that once again, I would no longer be constrained by the power of the flesh. So every time I fall, I can get up and I can walk it to the cross. Jesus, you died for this and you apply the blood. That's why communion is not just this once a time, a periodic thing. You can as many times say, God, I want to just apply your blood again. I want to apply your, your body again. I'm bringing everything I have to you. And the more you keep going back to the cross is the more you continue to manifest the work of Christ because you're putting and taking everything captive and putting it in subjection to the work of Christ. How do you think you take that thought captive? You take it and you bring it to the cross and you glorify the work of Christ. God, you died for this. Lord, I'm struggling to be kind. I'm, I'm so full of anger and rage, but God, you are the God of peace. I'm coming to the cross again. I'm giving you my anger and I'm receiving your peace. And everything that you, is constraining you, take it to the cross. Take it to the work of Christ because God is perfect love. And his perfect love casts out fear so that you don't have to worry about the guilt of a sin. You now flow in the grace that says, hey, you can't bind me because I am no longer living. It's Christ who's living in me and every fault I make, I just bring it to the cross. So you walk free and you begin to receive the joy of the Lord because you hear your father saying, okay, get up again. Forgive yourself. Get up again. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And the more you continue to realize that God is not condemning you, but he's saying, get up again, my son, get up again, my daughter, believe, trust, I'm with you. You can stand strong. You can manifest the fullness of Christ. But you just got to receive the love of God, that perfect love that casts that fear, that tells you that actually that you have not failed, but you are, you are fearfully, wonderfully made, that God has perfected his work in you and you simply just have to manifest it, that you're not that miserable, awful person they're describing, that you are not what the devil is telling you you are. You are who God says you are. I want to encourage you today 
that we're not going to stop until we get this right. Because the God I know, the God the Word tells us about, loves you so much that he's prepared to wait because he's already seen the manifestation of your fullness. He's already seen the manifestation of your glory. He just wants you to walk in it. And watch what our God will do through and in you. Take everything to the foot of the cross because we live today because this man, Jesus, died, took all of my failings in his own body, created an antidote for all my failings, fulfilled every law, and he looks at you and says, hey, you've got a hundred percent. Why? Because it's no longer you that lives, but it's me. So you've got to let yourself off the hook today and know that God is with you. I'm encouraging you today that perfect love casts out fear. Say that to yourself. I'm perfectly loved. I'm perfectly loved. I'm already chosen. His goodness and His mercy and His grace and His love is just running after you. If you don't know this Christ, you're missing out because the God we serve is love. Tear down that thought take it to the cross. Maybe we need to hear more of you saying, walkies. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really funny, right? But that's what you have to do every time the enemy comes. You walk it to the cross and you allow the Holy Spirit to heal, to bless, to manifest. And watch what God does. You keep that body at the foot of the cross. and you will live victorious living. May God bless you today. May God encourage and fill you. We're gonna to learn to love the way God loves. We're gonna let him love through us because that's what we're saying here today. And in him, I can manifest Christ. May God bless you today, perfect love will cast out every single fear. You are perfectly loved today. May God bless you.